Back chat. Back chat. Back chat. Back chat. Back chat. Back chat. Politics and current affairs. Back chat. Back chat. Your alternative to talk back. Proudly supported by the Judith Nielsen Institute. It's Saturday, January 16th, 2021, and you're listening to Back Chat, where we break down the news you don't want to miss. Before we begin today, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the Gadigal land and pay our respects to elders past, present and future. My name is Shami Sivasubramanian. And I'm Chantelle Alkuri. First up, we'll be talking about the Let Them Swim movement and their fight against the ban of some trans women at MacIver Baths. After that, we discuss is Australian cricket toxic? The sports is in the news once again for its alleged racist behaviour and we unpack what seems to be a pattern with sports journalist and statistician Daniel Beswick. And as always, we want to hear from you. Do you think Australian cricket has a culture problem? You can join in on the conversation and text us in on 0409 945 945 or you can tweet us at BackchatFBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. MacIver Ladies Baths in Coogee has long been considered an, an inclusive, safe space for so many women. But now they've been exposed for their exclusion of some trans women after the website said that only those who've undergone gender reassignment surgery were allowed to swim. Management has since updated the policy twice, which now says that trans women are welcome and citing that their definition is as per the New South Wales Discrimination Act. But the change of wording doesn't necessarily mean that their policy is any different. Joining us now to explain this further is the founder of the Let Them Swim campaign, Janet Anderson. Hi, Janet. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So first off, could you tell us why you started this hashtag? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I actually first saw uh, on Facebook that the McIver's Women's Bars had excluded trans women from their bars, and um, uh, I had actually been to the trans. I have actually been to the bars before, um, and so I was a bit confused <laughs> as to why it seems like just recently they put up this policy, um, and obviously it's very triggering to hear. And I just thought that's unacceptable as like a a place where many women see find sanctuary. I thought that, you know, this policy just isn't very 2021. (laughs) So what baffles me the most about their original statement is how uh, they could possibly even check whether someone has actually undergone uh, bottom surgery or not. Mm, So uh, how do we, um, how does the entry process even work? Yeah, Uh, I'm asking the same question. (laughs) <laughs> it's like I've obviously I've gone in before and had no issue. Um, there's plenty of trans women who I've talked to over the past couple of days who have gone in before as well. So it's like I don't understand, I don't know whether they're going to have like a TSA screening at the at the entrance of the bars or something. But like there's really no way of policing this policy, uh, which I just thought was ridiculous at the beginning. And also, if you're like only letting people in who have vaginas, well then what what are you doing with trans men like? Obviously, you're not accepting of them either, so this policy just is rubbish. Um, and like, then if you're not if you're not doing it that way, then they're really just basing it off looks and whether you look woman enough to go in, which I don't need to explain to you how problematic and offensive that is. 
And McIver Ladies Baths has since updated the wording on the website, noting that their definition for transgender is in accordance to the New South Wales Discrimination Act. Why doesn't that actually change anything? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a little bit confusing. And I read the act and I've had plenty of people contact me about the act and still aren't really clear as to what that means. So I think that just goes to show that this this stuff is just a minefield for trans people to try and understand themselves who have no legal background. But from my understanding, um, if you want to change your gender marker on your birth certificate, you have to have had at least one gender affirmation surgery, um, which many trans women haven't had, either don't want to have or can't afford. Um, so I'm not sure whether they're going to be checking our birth certificates when we go in or what, but... Um, yeah, the legislation is actually kind of unclear, and that kind of is like a broader, a broader note on how much of this is honestly new, and and we're just people are getting waking up to the fact that trans women have existed for all of time, and uh, the legislation is just really out of date. So there is a lot of uncertainty and lack of clarity around this issue. Uh, but Ranwick and Coogee Ladies Swimming Associations are meeting up with various associations um, and organisations about this issue uh, to get that kind of clarity. Do you think that is um, a step in the right direction? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, all we've really been asking for is a public statement from the bars and an apology. And I haven't been in contact with the bars myself at all. So... Um, part of the problem is just like the lack of clarity and the seemingly secrecy behind all of it and women's bars changing their website FAQs three times now um, is, yeah, I it sounds good to me, but I haven't heard anything from them uh, and many of the other organisers of the Let Them Swim campaign haven't either. So, so we've been anxiously awaiting a public statement. Um, but that sounds good to me. You know, I think that, like, if they're seeking as much help as they can get because they obviously can't really understand or manage the problem themselves, um, then, yeah. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio with Chantelle and Shami. We're speaking with the founder of the Let Them Swim campaign, Janet Anderson, about MacIver Bath's ban on trans women. So, Janet, what would you and the rest of the Sydney trans community like to see from the management of MacIver Baths? Yeah, well, I think what we're mainly asking for at the moment is a public statement and apology explaining their ban, explaining why they may have made it and why they've now changed their opinion. Because we don't want an apology just to say, oh, we're sorry for having a feeling. It's more admission that the, that the policy that they had in place was <laughs> deeply ignorant and offensive. And, yeah, honestly, that's all I'm asking for because I want to use the bars. I don't want the bars to be shut down. I see the bars as a women's sanctuary that should be safe for all. But uh, if you're not going to actually stand by that statement, then um, I think we deserve an explanation. So it's been suggested by ex McIver Bath workers that the workplace culture is quite transphobic. Um, how do you think something so systemic should be handled in a workplace? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I've heard similar things and I haven't speak, spoken to any ex-workers myself but I've definitely seen things and heard things like that um, I think things like that honestly happen in a lot of obviously happen in a lot of workplaces but unfortunately a lot of women's uh, workplaces were all like women-centric workplaces and I think it's really just the fact that like the majority of Australians that you know there's an American statistic that like 84% of Americans don't personally know a trans person 
Um, so I think it's really just a thing of, uh, like, meeting and talking to trans people to understand what they want and what they need. And I think that it's obvious to me that the McIver's Bards haven't had any kind of, like, haven't done any of that. And so I think it's probably just a, an issue of actually seeking answers from the people who have them and are willing to give them to you, you know, like whether it's, whether it's meeting with Trans Pride Australia or another trans organisation and actually just talking about how can we, rather than just tolerating trans people in our bars, how can we actively include them and actively welcome them? And I don't know, maybe it's time for a start change. And what has been the response from your audience on Instagram? Uh, yeah, the response has been, like, amazing. Amazing. Um, I My post, I posted my thing, like, a couple of days ago, I think two or three days ago, and it's already been shared over a thousand times. It's had, like, over 3,000 likes. And um, actually, the actor Zoe Taraka has posted something on their Instagram, um, and they obviously have a big following, and their post got shared multiple thousand times more than mine so it's just it just goes to show that like the community and the public is on our side and obviously like accepting of the fact that trans women exist and persist and and have been using the bars without problem i mean i'm sure there's been some incidences and that that's not acceptable but me myself have been to the women's bars before and i don't understand why they're just now shutting their doors Janet, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. That was Janet Anderson, founder of the Let Them Swim campaign, the movement which calls to lift the ban on trans women at MacIver Baths. You can find the petition from the Community Action for Rainbow Rights on our socials if you'd like to see some changes there. Don't go anywhere because coming up next, back chat gets sporty and a little solemn as we discuss the racism and toxicity of Australian cricket culture. But first, here's a song from Sydney. This is Kinder and A-Girl with their song, Come Along. You're on FBI 94.5. Australian cricket has had a torrid history of sledging and questionable sportsmanship, from the discrimination of Indigenous players back in the 1930s to ball tampering scandals in 2008, and not to mention the countless racial slurs thrown on the pitch. And last week, fans were booted from the SCG after Indian bowler Mohamed Siraj and paceman Jaspreet Bumrah were allegedly the targets of racist taunts by fans. Joining us now to discuss this troubling side of cricket culture is sports journalist and statistician currently with Seven Cricket for the BBL, Daniel Beswick. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Charmy. How are you? I'm good. This is Chantelle. I just wanted to ask you, just to start off, why do you think there's a toxic pattern in Aussie cricket? It's a great question, and and it's one that I've um, thought about over the last couple of days, Chantelle. And uh, it's a strange one because I I look at the events that happened uh, in the ball tampering fiasco two and a half years ago as... A, a bit of a, a yardstick to, to draw off where we use that as a real opportunity to try and clean up Australia's act where now two and a half years later uh, it looks as if the, the, the bad habits uh, are returning. Uh, Australia's had uh, an interesting relationship with the, the line of what is considered socially acceptable in, in 
world cricket, uh, and and we've definitely pushed the boundaries in regards to that, and not in the nicest way. Um, and, and looking back to to the potentially the nineties and early two thousands, the Australian cricket team were not only considered sort of bullies on the field by being just better than everyone else; they also knew about it as well. And I'm not sure. Uh, how much of that would have been deemed particularly race, but a lot of it was, was particularly abusive, um, and we saw a lot of a lot of the negative conversations around that sort of come to light in in the wake of the ball tampering scandal, where Australia sat back and, and realised that everything that was was sort of happening in in the world of cricket and Australian cricket was 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 over that perceived line, and and it and it's come again. Um, we've reached another time now uh, with India touring here, where where we're seeing a couple of negative things come to light. So um, it does seem like this uh, behaviour is quite unique to the Australian cricket team, even versus uh, other Western cricket teams. You have like South Africa with a history of apartheid. You have England with their colonial history, yet they don't really end up in the news like this. What do you think makes Australia so unique in this respect? Yeah, well, I can only really talk about uh, the Australian team that I've seen over the last 20, 25 years or so, um, and, and under, say, Steve War, who was one of our, I suppose, one of our better Australian test captains uh, in terms of playing on the field, he had a pretty stringent line on, um, he had a term that he coined that was basically mental disintegration, and it was just that anyone on the field uh, that, that crossed the line and played against Australia knew that they were playing against an Australian team, um, whether it be through uh, the like the likes of, of fledging and, and other discussion on the field. And, and cricket is a sport where we, we do see play, players interact a lot between each other because of the, the nature of the game, where everyone physically is, and, and the length of, of how long the game goes for as well. So it means that I can only talk for, for the Australian team in the, in the time that I've lived, but there definitely has been um, a case of Australians handing out uh, abuse to to, a play, to players of, of other international teams, and it hasn't necessarily been reciprocated. I think other teams have have tried to sort of go toe to toe with Australia and almost fight fire with fire. You know how socially acceptable that is. Um, I'm not too sure, but it, it hasn't really been paralleled by by any other team around the world. I have looking back, England have found themselves in in hot water on a couple of occasions, but probably not to the extent. Um, that the Australian team has, and, and it's certainly something that the that Cricket Australia needs to consider looking into once again, even with the, the recent events unfolding. And why does Australian cricketing culture itself appear more problematic than other Australian sports cultures? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one to answer because I think looking at, at, at other sports, we've, we've had our fair share of controversies. I think AFL and, and, and Adam Goods is one example I can use on other sports, but I think in terms of Australian cricket culture, there definitely it, there's almost this um, inexplicable link between um, verbal conflict and, and action on the field. There's almost a game within a game in, in that regard. Um, cricket is a game where I think 90% of it is played, you know, between the years. A lot of people do sort of subscribe to that notion. So I think it becomes a case of of people verbalising their thoughts in a way of getting perhaps one up over their opposition and, and that unfortunately leads to the events that we have seen over the past couple of days with the Australian cricket team and, and what Tim Payne had to say uh, to Ravi Chandra and Ashwin um, in, that, in that third test in India. So I think cricket, 
lends itself uh, a little bit to those negative um, situations on the field. You know, a test match lasts for, for five days. So on the law of averages alone, you are going to have uh, more instances coming out of that. And, and cricket is a sport where we have more cameras, more microphones, I think, than, than any other sport. So every murmur gets picked up and is, is scrutinised. And quite rightly in this situation, you would, you would argue, but I think that the flashbang elements of, of other sports where... You know, things happen in an instant where cricket is, is a sport where things take a long time to, to fester. Uh, and that sort of evokes that, that perhaps that negative, uh, that negative culture, perhaps. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio with Chantel and Shami. We're talking about the dark side of Aussie cricket with sports journalist Daniel Beswick. So, Daniel, the latest incident at the SCG was incited by cricket fans, not the players. Um, how do you think this toxicity has steeped from the pitch into the stands? Yeah, I think that, that cricketers, like any other sports people, are, are role models uh, for, for kids and other fans. Um, not only attending the game, but, but watching the game on TV, and it's that, that culture that has evoked from that. Uh, and looking to that particular incident with Mohammed Siraj on the boundary, and I have seen a lot of poor discourse around it on parts of social media where people have tried to sort of play down what, what happened there from a fan's perspective, which I find highly questionable because the way that Mohammed Siraj reacted to that uh, abuse would tell me, and I think would tell a lot of people that, that what he copped on the boundary was um, certainly not to be to be condoned by anyone. So for me, I think, and growing up in, in Australian um, cricket culture, growing up in, in a cricket club, playing a lot of it, and, and I can only compare it to, say, for instance, I played uh, a season of cricket overseas in, in the UK, and, and I know for a fact that, you know, I got just a lot more here playing cricket here than I did over there. That's just a personal experience. But I think that it seems to be this, this hard-nosed idea that play, fans in that instance, you know, on the boundary yelling abuse feel like they have some sort of right or privilege to do that because they've, they've paid to enter the venue where Cricket Australia has made it quite clear that any, any anti-social behaviour, any racial abuse uh, in the crowd will be stamped out. I know that they're still currently investigating that particular situation. There are signs all over the ground when you when you go there on the scoreboard, uh, as you walk in, when you sign in on the QR code now, such as 2020 Live. So, look, uh, again, it's probably an example of, of the minority spoiling it for the vast majority. But, you know, you, you only need to go to the Facebook comment sections and, and other portions of social media where perhaps people can, can hide under a, a guise of a, of a false name. And, and this abuse is still thrown around and again we do see it in other sports but it definitely lends itself to cricket a little bit more because the, the tussle is over five days it, 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 and it's been quite a close series you know all of this put aside it's been a fantastic series of cricket where things have been quite close and, and it's meant that emotions have, have, have run high on both sides um, and unfortunately that that resulted in, in what we did see on, on the boundary but again to bring it back to your question it there is certainly this, this dark undertone or undercurrent of a poor Australian cricket culture and, and the way that it has manifested itself is through speech and through discussion with the players. You know, you don't really get any other sports like this where 
a, a fielder is on the boundary and within 10 or 15 metres, you know, you're within a fan and you're there for a very long portion of time too. It just means that, you know, the likelihood of things happening like that are, are perhaps a little more strong than, than other sports. So, Daniel... Um I think, I guess you could probably talk about how the colonial aspect of the sport does contribute to that. But um, uh, just really quickly, we're running out of time here. Do you have any practical ideas on how we could deal with uh, this toxicity in the sport on a broader level? Perhaps touch on how so many of the players uh, do actually play together on some teams, for especially for the Indian Premier League. Um, a lot of the time they're playing on the same side. And now in these contexts, in an international context, they're not. And yet that... Te- that tension seems to be rife. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, players um, around the world have never been so interconnected, not only, you know, as teammates in, in 2020 leagues around the world, the IPL being one of those that you just mentioned. But, you know, social media, uh, these guys interact a lot. You know, a lot of these guys are cooped up in the same hotels at the moment given, you know, the quarantine situation too. So you would think that that would evoke a little bit more friendliness, but it, it does seem, you know, once, plays do cross that line there there has been the the, the same old situations that happen and I'm not not sure you know I'm not an elite sports person so I I don't understand those pressures but I think it it can reveal a lot about a person's personality how they deal with things in times of in times of stress and in in times of of difficulty and 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 what Tim Payne said to to Ravi Chandran Ashwin in that situation um, in that test was, was unacceptable. And, and he came out and apologised. And as the captain, he should be upholding those responsibilities uh, in comparison to, to his players, who should have a responsibility as well. But he, it all kind of, you know, the buck stops with him. But to look at it from a, from a broader scale, you know, we have, we have more cameras um, than ever before, you know, looking into how the crowd uh, interact with these players. We have QR scanners now. Uh, everyone has an allocated seat. You would think that everyone would be accountable uh, in the position that they're in, no matter what time they are there during the day. And for the players on the field, we have we have so many. We have I think we have more cameras in cricket than any other sport. Uh, we have microphones, you know, literally attached to, to the stump. So everything that is said or heard within the proximity of the game is picked up. Um, you will get found out if if you say something, and, and that's why you know we've had this this controversy come out, you know, Absolutely. without those mics, we yeah. wouldn't have been able to pick it up. So I, I think we're on the right track, but uh, yeah, it will take, uh, it's going to take a little bit more time and a lot of investigation for us to actually work out, you know, the spirit of cricket is, is actually a very broad sort of term that it doesn't really kind of have a stringent set of, of laws. So it becomes a case of, of almost, you know, taking it to an investigation and having a finding and, 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 and working on that as potentially a precedent for, for other events going forward. Daniel, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I wish we had more time to talk, but alas, that's all we've got. Thank you. You've been a wealth of knowledge. Uh, Daniel is uh, a cricketing journalist and is currently with Channel 7 uh working with them for the BBL. You can also catch him on his podcast, Emerging Cricket, which talks a lot about the international side of the sport. And that's all time. That's all the time we have on the show this week. A big, massive thank you to our guests, Janet Anderson and Daniel Beswick. This episode of Backchat was brought to you by our producers, Nikki Ilyaguyeva, Vanessa Lim, Tanita Rizagi, and Eamon Snow. Before we go, here's another song to start off your Saturday morning. This is Not Tonight by Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. Have a good weekend.